Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not A Genre, the interview edition. For those of you new to the Music Is Not A Genre family, let me tell you a little bit about it. Uh, It's a podcast in which I uh, find any reason to discuss music, whether that's something from my collection or something that I have created, something that someone else has created, and I make connections between that music my music, other people's music, other things in the world that have nothing to do with music. I, I, I do my best to make connections where none seem to be because the idea is genres are labels which are barriers to understanding the truth of music in general and of many things beyond the world of music. Uh, I am fortunate that I often also get to discuss this with someone else. And today uh, I have with me Shock. He is a music producer, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and producer, host, and DJ of the popular Twitch channel, My Live 2. He's a member of the electro swing band Red Light District. He's also the creator of the Not So Ebb spoof on Nitzereb, which was a huge international pandemic hit. Uh, And he's one of the founders of Newgrounds.com, which was one of the first online entertainment portals. There are other credits, and we will get to the ones I mentioned and those other ones too later on. But first of all, Shock, how are you? I'm well today. Thank you. How are you? Good. Very good. Thanks. It's uh, it's good to see you. Um, as I as I mentioned to you in the pre-show, and and I mentioned to people uh, now and then, if if those of you have been following these this interview edition, you know that my first question, uh, you know what my first question is, and this may be a tricky one for us, and I'm curious to kind of follow the thread here, but can you? To the best of your knowledge, tell me how we know each other. All right. Well, <clears throat> last year, my friend said, hey, and I got a link from him saying, hey, there's a here's a YouTube video about an old album of yours. I was like, what? <clears throat> and so I went there and I saw you discussing it. So that's that is that is how we were sort of introduced or maybe even reintroduced or whatnot. But that is how we have come to connect. And I said, hey. How you doing? And here we are. And thanks for thanks for uh, checking out my old music back 30 years ago. It was released 29 years ago, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it was one of uh, the, you know this the other one of the other editions of my podcast. As I like I said, I'll take something from my collection. At the time, I was going through my vinyl collection, and there were a couple uh, that I couldn't find all that much information on. 
And uh, one was a, a Mega Mix 86, which was kind of awesome, actually. I was able to track down some info on that. But then the other one was yours. And uh, so people know what we're talking about. In 1992, you released an album called First Impressions of My Idiosyncrasies, I think it's called. And uh, I I would like to know more about that because the the from from my memory, which is not all that great, the reason I have that album, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that there was some kind of an album, either a, just a regular party or an album release party, and a, and a friend who knew you took me to your, your house or some studio, uh, which was outside of Philadelphia, and... I met you there and you handed me the album and that's how I have it. I, but that's all I remember really. Do you know anything about that? These are all lies. My, oh, no. I've never done music in my life. Uh, thought we were talking about computer anal marketing analytic analytics today. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, so yeah. So I had uh, done a couple of, cassette things and um that first impressions was sort of like a an introductory slash greatest hits get to know me kind of thing that's what it was called first impressions so it's like your first impressions of what the music was so it was three different three different sort of rough things but it set up in a uh, more formal vinyl and cassette release that wound up charting on all these different things. I did not expect, I didn't, I didn't know enough. I didn't really know much about the industry at the time. And I went up on all these college radio stations, that thing played. So I, played, I wound up getting um, gigs because of that. And at, at colleges, cause they're like, We're, you're, you're in our top 10. I'm like, I'm in your top 10. I, I didn't understand that, but um, I was, I mean, I never played a bar or anything like that prior. I mean, I, my first gig was playing at a college in front of almost a thousand people. I mean, <laughs> that, that had known my music. It was pretty weird. Um, so it was kind of a weird first step, but, um, so I, but I, I probably, I used to have a lot of parties and gatherings cause I always like to share music and entertainment with people. So I probably had a party and we might have got talked or something about music, and I was like, "Here's my record." I who knows? Yes, <laughs> so that, yeah. that was that was a long time ago, and that's why I mean, twenty nine years ago. Yeah, listen, I you know I I don't remember things that happened five years ago or a year ago, so I know a lot of what I'm thinking is is pretty shocking. What What's that? But where did I have for breakfast? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, see, now you've got my brain stuck because I'm not going to remember that either. Um, it's way did too I, did I did I did I finish on season two, episode one, or was it episode two? I don't remember. Let's let's watch it again. <laughs> and then halfway through, you're like, well, I did see all of episode one. Let's watch episode two. I will be caught up. And then you're like, as a matter of fact, I've seen episode two and three. I've seen it all. Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't... yeah no, that's exactly right. And and what's worse, that happened it, to me they, yeah, yeah. And I've done that. And the and then I'll even this is terrible, but I'll watch a show and go mm -hmm. to tell somebody about an episode and realize I don't really remember <laughs> the characters' names. I, I, oh, I, that can know, happen. I just make impressions of what's happening. But, they don't quite latch yeah, on. I, guess. I have a good one about that. This is a sidetrack for a second, yeah. but at one point 
I I've been living I I live in LA and I I've, I've been out here for over 20 years now. And at one point I had uh, and I'm not going to remember the name of the movie book, but my friend who's here in the studio will remember it because we've talked about it a, a lot of times and how ridiculous this scenario is. <clears throat> but I had uh, I'd been on the uh, East Coast cleaning out some stuff <clears throat> and my father lived not very far from where I was and my friend Paul had uh, come to grab me. We got back. To, I'd been visiting my father. I went back to my place to get more of my stuff organized before I was leaving town. And my, um, what is it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so, uh, so I said, when I, when I got back, I said, to, I said, uh, uh, my friend Paul said, oh, you look, your dad really wanted to spend more time with him. Like, yeah, you know, I'm like, maybe we could watch a movie with him, you know, or something. So we, we, we go back over to where my dad lived and he was like, oh, of course I'd love, I'd love to see you, see you more. And so we get over there and, 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 um, and he's going to the movies that he has and he's going through these different movies and he gets this one movie and he's mentioning all the people in the cast. And I'm like, wow. And Dan Aykroyd's in it too. And who else is in that movie? Chevy Chase, Demi Moore, John Candy, John Candy, all these people are in this movie. And I'm like, wow, it must've been a really cool movie that I, I forgot about. And of course, but, but that, but see that, that gives it away. But so, so I, um, so I'm like, sure, let's watch this. So I'm sitting there. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is kind of an interesting movie, but it's a little slow. I'm waiting for something to happen. And then finally, Digital Underground shows up, and I'm like, and uh, rest in peace, uh, Shock G, who just passed, uh, you know, yeah. last month. Yeah. But um, yeah. but um, he, uh, I realized that this was one of the, my least favorite movies of all time, and one of the only movies in my life I've ever walked. I, where I've walked out of a theater and, and I've seen some doozy films and I, prior to the pandemic, I would probably see two or three movies in a theater a week. Like I, I'm a, I'm a cinephile. Nice. I am all about movies. In fact, I, I, even though I, my, my, I've worked in music most of my life, it started off with film and it's slowly getting back there, which I'm sure we'll discuss at some throughout our, throughout this uh, time together. But so I realized at this point, oh my God, this movie blows and I forgot about this. But Paul's enjoying himself and whatnot. And uh, so, and my dad is here, so I'll watch it. And then my dad kind of took off for a little while and he was into the kitchen doing something, whatever. And, and then the movie finally ends and I just turned to Paul and I said, you know, I've seen this movie before and I hated this movie. And Paul goes to me, he goes, what? He goes, I hate this movie too. I'd forgotten I'd seen it as well. <laughs> And then, we, but he's like, but I thought you were enjoying it. So we went up seeing this crap film. Anyway, it was called Nothing But Trouble. So just, just for anybody out there, do not see it. It's, it is nothing but trouble. It Don't is yeah, it. aptly named. That's my long-winded story. Of, memory. Yeah, my, my long-winded story of sometimes you. Yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I've heard of that film, actually. Well, and so, so I want to, I mean, maybe this is the wrong road to go down then because we're talking about faulty memory, but I, uh, there may not be much more to mine from, from what happened back in 92, but I'm, I'm too curious about it to not ask. Now, I thought that the person who took me to this party knew you, and I don't know why. I know, I, I don't know why I would think that. And it's a friend of mine, his name probably is, did if it was a party. Yeah, I'm sure they did. 
Does I, his friend, his name is, uh, I think the friend I'm thinking of is a guy named Ian Silverman. Um, and if it doesn't ring a bell, then I'm probably wrong. That's not it. It's not, it's not Mike Smith either, is it? Very generic. I think so. I, then, yeah, then that's one of those things where yeah. somehow I, you must, I must have known someone who knew you and we bumped into each other. Uh, and what's funny is I had been, uh, and we're going to get to a, a more of your history very soon, but I, I had been doing music for a few years at that point too, and um, had, you know, dabbled in electronic music, but then kind of started to shift more towards band oriented stuff and all of that. But I remember uh, listening to what you you did at the time and just being like super impressed because this is around when, you know, uh, Oh, whoa, look at that. That's a big change. Uh, this is around when um, yeah, Nine Inch Nails had been around for a while and Moby had been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was this kind of world of electronic mm -hmm. music. I did shows. Yeah, I did, I did a bunch of shows with Moby. Oh, nice. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember being, mm -hmm. you know, it made an impression on me what you were doing then, which, which um, you know, it was Thank cool you. to revisit when I did the podcast I listened to the entire album again to kind of refresh my memory and you know and enjoyed mm -hmm. it and then it, it's been great you know the fact that you contacted me through your friend was a bonus because I couldn't find out all that much about you so you you know talking directly with you I could at least get all of the links and the new music that you've been doing and remixes and all of that which by the way everybody uh will share all the links are below please click them and listen to what's there. There's some awesome music there. Um, but that kind of brings me to the next question, which is, can you tell people your story, where, where you come from, why, you, why you're in music, just really anything that you feel is relevant or interesting or that pops into your head? SpaghettiOs are filled with lots of salt. That's something interesting. No, uh, I, uh, I mean, I... I got into music. I always loved music, but I, I it got to be more serious for me. I played drums, and um, and I played a little bit of keyboard, and I played bass, uh, and I had a guitar, but didn't really play it. But I had a an a place to sort of record music onto a cassette, mm -hmm. and started recording bands oh sorry i started recording my uh, friends and me playing music together and other people heard that and they were like can you record our band and i was like oh okay i guess so and so i started doing that and i started amassing some other gear um but i got into music because i was a huge lover of music and i always loved new music and odd music and things that are hybrids, things that combine genres. I'm all about when it's not easily defined on what it is. That That's what I, gets me excited. Um, artists like Peter Gabriel and Future Sound of London, for example, maybe even Sade. Um, Massive Attack is another one where it, is it First of all, what, what's the sound I'm hearing? Is that, a, is that a live instrument? Is that something electronic? Is it processed? Is it something that's naturally occurring in nature? And if, it's be, if you're able to 
have expression on it and it's able to move and live and tell a story and, and go somewhere that that really appeals to me and i really enjoy when i can't box something in i mean there's something to be said for music that's boxed in too i mean if it's like house music and it has a 909 open hi-hat and the 909 kick drum and the 909 snare and the fm bass maybe or the you know and there's like a whole series of sounds that go along with house music or drum and bass had that amen break and then maybe some slow slow attacked sub bass kind of sine wave thing anyway there's there's something to be said for music that's categorized and i like that too but there's something very exciting in terms of art when it's something that may borrow from places you know and it keeps the familiarity but it it breaks new ground and i i really that that talks that speaks to me in in volumes and um so um i don't know where i'm going with it but oh that's awesome i mean that that i got into music because but i got into music because i i really those things piqued my interest and i had gone away to a school to do acting and uh got a lead role in something and which was fun but I, I was bored and there was a rickety piano and I started learning how to play all the songs I enjoyed from everything that came out on mute records and 4AD and all that kind of stuff so it's we're talking um, everything from Depeche Mode to The Cure to Clan of Zymox and even Duran Duran or whatever. I mean, you know, even though I was a huge, huge fan of Peter Gabriel stuff, I was like, I don't even know how to recreate that. But, but, um, and I loved Prince, so there was all, you know, and, and I had gotten a, um, a, a crappy sampler and I had a, a drum machine, so I started trying to replicate with my little bit of gear how to recreate these sounds. And <clears throat> as time went on, I found ways to replicate the sounds of my voice because I didn't have all these crazy synths yet. And there was also a music store I'd go into and I would, they had the same sampler I had. So I would find their sampler, get a cable, run it to the keyboard that I wanted to sample, play the play notes on it and sample it back in and take that disc home. Cause it fit on one floppy disc, you know, and then, <laughs> and then load it and have that sound. Now all of a sudden I had this $5,000 synthesizer at my home basically, because it was, it was the sound. Um, that was early on. That was that was thirty years ago, basically. Um, but I, as soon as music started doing well for me, I started gathering a lot of synthesizers, real synthesizers, because people didn't want those anymore. They were trying to get these workstations and all that. And I, I just was like, I, I don't want a workstation. I'm I'm not just a keyboardist. I'm, I play a lot of in, I, I'm I'm playing instruments and I want to manipulate. So I, you know, I I I I, I, I want to use these interesting sounds and do weird things with them, which is I sort of do the same thing these days too, but I don't go out and buy crazy synthesizers anymore, but right. at least I don't think I do. <laughs> um, anyway, that's sort of the background. If that, if, if that answers any question or if I just was rambling, I, I maybe I didn't have enough food today. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> There's never enough food. I look, I, you know what? The, the, <laughs> the paths you take answered more questions than I even asked, which is cool. Um, I, you know, uh, I like that you say that really there were the two kind of uh, 
dichotomous things there that that music that can be clearly defined there's a there's a place for it and it is important and some great things whether you know whether it is house or you know like uh, i don't know bebop or you know something that you kind of understand what the elements of that genre are and to dive deep into that and explore it without really going too far afield can be incredibly valuable. And, you know, I love that, but I, of course, myself gravitate towards music that breaks new ground or, you know, uh, busts through walls that other producers might put there, other musicians might say. And what I've found over the years is that it's harder than it seems because there's a point at which we define ourselves without knowing it as, as people, as artists. And we think, oh, I'm going to step outside that wall and do this. Someone who doesn't know us or who sees it from you know, a distance uh, more objectively will hear that and say, yeah, okay, that's, but that's kind of still you, you know? And it takes a real kind of extension past every step you could think of to get to a point where you're actually challenging yourself enough to get outside of the box that you created for yourself. And, you know, we've been around a lot longer. So maybe the more you do it, the, you know, the more of that you get, but did, did you feel through, through the, you know, because you've done, now you've done remixes and you've done original material as well. And what, how would you, what kind of music, uh, do you mostly do now? Well, talk about ex- breaking out of a box and what defines you. I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm in several projects that I do. And there's, you mentioned Red Light District earlier, which is a sort of a, what they, what, what the kids are called in electro swing, but it's, it's more than that. It's, um, it's a, it's, um, the live version of the band is a, depending on the time you see it, could be a six to nine person band. <clears throat> in the studio, it's pretty much two of us. Sometimes I'll bring in an extra person on horns. If I, I play trumpet as well and, and trombone, but um, I don't play sax really. And uh, I mean, like, not, not worth anything. And um, so I'll bring in people for that and clarinet, but um, all the upright bass and drums and whatnot, um, piano, yeah, that's me. But that's very similar to your taking a vibe from uh, and cues from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and maybe maybe even 50s, but probably not, um, of jazz, classic jazz, cabaret, swing band music, and then throwing it into the future with a lot of what we do in that project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so some of them might fall under trip hop, I guess, as well. But it's but it's something different. It's a it's a mixture of jazz. Well, that's one project. Then there's <clears throat> there's Zeitmal, which is the thing that you you had heard, and that's still happening. And that's been always a blend of electronic stuff with a very kind of a organic sort of rock kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, more pop song structured in some of the music anyway, but but more in you know more modern structured music. Uh, but lots of times influenced by uh, 
world music and such because lots of tribal percussion and stuff in, within the there and a lot of strange found sounds and whatnot so that's Zeitmal but then there's also uh, Emmett Peels which is my experimental stuff which is straight up just you don't it, 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 exploration through sounds and storytelling it's almost like uh, movie soundtrack work or ambient music with beats I guess you know very very ethereal and then um, I started this thing called Lost Tapes, which was initially just a secret project that people didn't know it was me and which was very, really interesting. Uh, especially when people were eventually telling me I need to check out this music. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, and um, and that one's more of like a early new wave, maybe post-punk kind of music. Um, yeah. So these are all very different. I mean, I guess some of the post-punk stuff leads itself to the Zeitmal stuff as well, but it's way more um, stripped down and way more pop, I'd say, in a way. And um, so I have that. And then I, I started last year, which kind of brings us up a little bit more of what I'm doing. I'll, go, I'll get to the remix thing in a second, but um, a, a friend had contacted me and said, hey, and I've done work for her before for commercial work um because i play a lot of instruments it's quick for me to someone needs a a, a cue for for a song or whatnot or a company says hey we need a music supervisor says hey i need spy music for 30 seconds i've done that for like nickelodeon i did a bunch of stuff for them and um and i did any whatever i did a bunch of different tv shows over the years but yeah. <clears throat> um the um when I worked, I'd done some work for her. So she said, Hey, I'm working on a documentary. I, I would love a song or a couple songs for this. And as it progressed, I realized, okay, I guess I'm doing the whole soundtrack for the song. Like for this, for this uh, documentary that she was working on. Hmm. And uh, it turned into a, a 33 song uh, work, you know? Uh, so there, it, this, this soundtrack is, is, is massive. And the music for it, she said her cue in the beginning to me was, I need, she's like, I know I'm not good with titles and genres, but I need what what I guess would be called porno punk, which after she played me one song that she had in mind that she had heard, I was like, well, that's kind of funk, you know, kind of like a punky version of funk. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I, I, I uh, as time progressed, I a couple friends came on board with me because I thought it would be interesting to collaborate with people because I don't generally collaborate musically with a lot of people um and uh i tried doing very unusual miking techniques and what you're seeing behind us right now is drums from that session we've pretty much done all the principal recording for this documentary already but there's a couple things that need to be retake done retake so uh instead of having eight to ten microphones on the drums there's one overhead which is a nice microphone there's um not my nicer kick drum mic, but an, an, an okay kick drum mic inside the kick with um, another kick drum that was that got randomly used. Um, and then back to back, it creates some weird tone. And then I have a, a one room mic, which is actually the mic that we're on right now. And um, and at one point, I was using this other mic that I've ever here, which is a simple 58, but using that in the room and then squashing all three together so i was trying different techniques so that i could get something that sounds like a band in a room playing together for the most part hmm. and the music is very funk and while i enjoy playing funk i've never really released anything that's funk and um it made me i, I broke out my my initial bass guitar that i ever had that i had uh 
when I was 17. It's a, it is a nice space, but I never really used it. So I was using that and I got really back into my, my horns and playing the horns and picked up and picked up a lot of weird instruments along the way um, and gear for this. And it's been a very interesting thing where it's, you're mixing it in the box, like in the computer, but the recording of it is very much hands-on. And every time you hear strings or theremin or any kind of horn blast, it's not from a sample thing. It's an actual instrument being played. And it, and, 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 and I have a whole series of strange guitars and plucked instruments. And we brought in my friend, Daniel, who also played trumpet on this, but he also brought in a charango, which I, I'd only heard of from a sample library. So I never even seen one. There's one sitting over here right now. And um, then we, uh, we have a, we have a, a, a flautist and a, uh, even though I play cello, we had someone come in and play cello as well. And um, violin and my friend Trevor on keys and organ and, and um, it, it became, and we brought in our other friend who played French horn and saxophone, and that we brought in one of the world's foremost theremin player, which is Armin Ra. And then most recently, we brought in uh, Lisa Kay from the band The Basement Jacks and the Bell Rays. And so it's it's a really good collaborative effort. Um, there's some other people too. We'll see, you know. But the point is, is that. Um, it, to me, I like breaking out of the box and uh, challenging myself because to me it is art and I don't look at music as a, a lot of people, well, there are people that look at music as a way to nowadays to become famous on the internet. Yeah. Uh, at one point it was a way to get, to, the way to be noticed by the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever you're interested in. And uh, or to gain attention, um, or to or to make a dollar, and to me it was always a passion thing because I wanted to do music because I I was a huge fan of music and it moved me so much that I wanted to be able to to to, to replicate that because I loved it so much and wanted more of those same things like whether it was a song by uh, you know uh, Aha. <laughs> <laughs> or it, or or if was or if it was something by you know, like Pink Floyd, um, to be able to find the ways to create those kind of sounds and tones and express yourself was a very freeing notion to me. So I, I so I'm always exploring and trying different techniques and setting things up differently to make myself break out of boxes. And I don't like to be confined. And sometimes. I should say by confined by genre. I like sometimes being confined by instruments is good because it makes you more creative. Um, some of the most creative stuff I ever did was when I just had that sampler and I had to just didn't have all the instruments. I had to figure out ways to make the sounds and you get creative. You find ways to do it because you had to get that sound and you had to figure out how to replicate that sound. You might have to do it with your voice. I didn't have the crazy drum machines. I had to I had to do it with my, that was a snare drum, you know, and it sampled that in. And I still do that to this day. There's, there, I mean, I went out and got a ton of weird shakers along the way and there's a whole bunch of them, tambourines. And then at one point I got like a little egg shaker, but, but one of the shakers that's on the album is this thing right here, which is just, ah, it's oregano. Yeah. All right. And that's, and that's you. So, but uh, going back to the other thing about remixing, I mean, I, I think I've remixed uh, a folk artist named Mira. I've remixed Fisher Spooner, who are a. Uh, oh, I know them. Yeah. It's like a s s pop synth pop, maybe. I don't know what you call it. Dance pop. Yeah. Dan? Electro pop. Yeah. Um, 
uh, remixed um, uh, Nick Cave. Uh, Nick Cave has a band called uh, Grinder Man, and I was approached by them to do uh, a couple remixes for them. I did um, Gautier. Uh, oh, yeah. That's kind of pop, um, I guess. Um, I mean, he his that one, one song, his was definitely pop. Uh, yeah. uh, to weird, exp- like, you know, to old school industrial artists that came out asking for stuff like KMFDM and then um you know so it's, it's been all over the place i, I guess uh yeah there's a lot, a lot of different bands i've done uh, i've remixed you know there's uh and they, and they all want they don't say to me hey i want <clears throat> this genre i think it's interesting remixes are an interesting way to market your music to a different audience so <clears throat> you know you might be a, a a pop band that wants to have an underground house mix you might be uh an in you know an industrial artist that wants a drum and bass mix. One of the things I like doing is taking something that's more electronic and turning it to something more organic. But mm. generally, when I do remixes, I'll, I'll 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 add a lot of live elements to it because I feel that that's missing in a lot of remixes. That there's something missing in the live interpretation. You know. I well, yeah, actually, that, of everything you said, and you've said a lot that um, you know are opening. Oh, I can talk. You know, yeah, no, it's, what, what's cool is that when you're talking, I come, I think, oh, question, and then you answer the question I was going to ask anyway, but what, one thing that I think is interesting is that you, so you said in kind of two different ways that you're almost kind of back forming a song that was electronic and somehow making it more organic, and you're right, I do, I mean, I've heard a ton of remixes i've done a few i don't do much of that but that's usually it goes the other way so i find that very interesting it's it's well i think that's why i've gotten hired a lot to do these things because they've liked my music and i mean warren ellis for example from bad seeds Hmm. was a fan of red light district and they were reaching out for people to do remixes and it turned out that the person who produces most of the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds music is one of my best friends. And he's like, wait a minute, that can't be the, the same person that I know. And then it turned out that my friend, his name is also Nick, that he was like, that he was right. It was me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that it's, but, but what we did is we did like a, it was like a weird accordion mix of one thing. And another thing was like a rock mix. I did three different mixes for these guys. And, um, but generally I'll do just one remix for someone, but, um, but I think that's why I get hired because people it's, you're getting something different, you know? And I think that's, I've been lucky that I play a lot of instruments that I'm able to, because I spent a lot of time. Alone. I, 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 um, I, um, I think it, I think because I'm offering something different than just let's put it into this program that everybody else uses with the stock, same sounds that everybody's using in the same VST plugins, uh, software synthesizers, yeah. plugins that everybody's using in this manipulate what's there i'm going to take the parts that were given to me i'm just going to juxtapose them a little bit where uh, a lot of times i'll sing backup or whatever and turn into a duet or something i just like to create so yeah yeah i you know i did a i did a podcast last year uh that was based on i you know a, um, a couple of uh art of noise albums and oh, cool. George Kranz, you know, Din Dada, I think mm-hmm. it is. And I made yep. the point that, and this is a complete opinion, but I made the point that it's on one level, it is easy to make 
an electronic dance song. You have a beat, it's a certain tempo, you layer it with X or Y, then you're done. But to make it interesting, to make it interesting, whether you're hearing 15 seconds of it or you're hearing three to six to eight minutes of it and, and really keep a listener's interest you know, beyond its, its intended purpose, which is often to be part of a mix for a club or what have you, you know, to get people up to dance. When people are distracted doing other things, they may not need to hear detail but that to me doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't have that detail in there. And what I've found in the, what I've, you know, the little that I've heard from your, you know, catalog even is that you always find ways to make it interesting when really some other person doing a remix, it wouldn't have to do that because it'll serve the same purpose, but you go that next level. Yeah. Thank you. I, um, I think about what I would want to hear and what gets me going. And I think, dynamics and changes and that's that's exciting to me and i like things that aren't typical again i like throwing, i don't know if you hear that train it's pretty awesome i did yeah. um I, I i um i like things that, that that throw in something you weren't expecting or maybe toss in a little something that you you've known that, that references it like uh uh so, you know, some of the old composers of the late 1800s and early 1900s did that with their work where they'd be playing along and then all of a sudden they throw in someone else's work. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you had all these people, people that were, you know, in cahoots with Chopin and all these other people. Anyway, they, they would borrow from each other and, and sometimes add a little riff, which is like, you know, a lot of jazz artists do it. They'll throw in like, it'll be like, and all of a sudden be like, you know, Mary had a little lamb. And you're like, but wait a minute, did I just hear that? You know? Um, and, 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 and I do that with some things with sampling or recreating of something so that you hear it. Like maybe uh, all of a sudden a drum break comes around and it's like, wait a minute, isn't that the Tears for Fears uh, kind of triangle thing from uh, Shout or, uh, or wait a minute, isn't that drum break? That reminds me of a Phil Collins riff right there. Holy shit, there's the doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. You know, everybody knows that immediately, even if it's not the same sounds, but it gets you and you're like, oh, they're, uh, uh, and it gets exciting for a second. And, and that's, that's, to me, that's, that's great. It's like if you're eating a soup and all of a sudden you taste the flavor and you're like, oh, I love that. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, great. So, but I mean, but I, you know, it's funny is I don't, I don't know if I, I don't sit here, like I'm doing a remix um, for um, this band called the Skate Nigs, who the singer, uh, he was in a band called, he was in the band Revolting Cox, which was, were on Wax Tracks. And he, is um, known for singing the song Beers, Steers, and Queers, which okay. is from what, 1990, I think? Anyway, hmm. maybe 91. Anyway, and uh, in the remix that I was given, it was, you know, there's there's a lot of live drums and sa samples and guitars and vocals and girl vocals with them. And I cut out everything except for his vocal her vocal and a couple of the guitar noises and just turn it into this weird like breakbeat funk industrial thing, funk industrial. And, um, and, but I wasn't like thinking, Oh, I got to shift this thing up a bit. It just, I think it's just how I've worked because I know what I like to hear in a song myself and I want to provide that for someone else. And it's yeah. the same with entertainment. You want to have an arc and that, that maybe leads us to the next thing, which is the whole Twitch thing that's happened. Yeah. But 
it's just like any story you want to tell. You want to have a good, you want to have a good arc in the story and something that might be surprising. Maybe someone can walk away with something, having learned something new or have felt something different. And ultimately you want people to feel something. That's, that's the most important thing. I mean, you want to be able to feel something. And in the end of the day, it's like, you know, people can meet you and see you later and they might not remember your name. They might not remember the details, but they remember how they felt when they interacted with you, whether it was a positive feeling or a feeling of, you know, gratitude or if someone made you feel less than you are because they, 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 they were a little bit demeaning or whatnot people that's, that's strong. So I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little deep here, but, uh, <laughs> but storytelling is important to me. And I want people to feel like they went on a ride when they listen to the music, you know, beginning, middle and an end with some kind of thing you can walk away from. Like, you know, that was fun, but that was scary. So that, that approach means a lot to me because I think, um, I, you know, I read a, I read an article about uh, there are, you know, there's apparently a new shift in certain kinds of pop music that um, are conceding the fact that most people don't listen to more than 30 to 60 seconds of a song, younger people, I guess. And there are people now just creating releases of songs that short and that's fine great there's all kinds of music out there that's wonderful but i've always prized music that is a journey that takes you on a ride that has an arc to it and that and and that has an fast food is what's happening to the the art you know it, it all all a lot of art art is becoming fast food it's it's a yeah. We want it now. We want it instantly, and we need to digest it immediately. And that's what's happened with art. You look at what's happened with you know. You have you know whoever thought there'd be a TV. Co- I mean, I don't know if they're still around, but was it Quibi? And it was like, let's do a fifteen-minute episode or seven-minute episodes of TV shows. Yeah. Like you know, you can't even stick around for that long. You know, um, and I get it. We're all busy, but we're not all that busy. And um, but the fact that people are, you know, I, I get. Instagram because that, not sorry, uh, Twitter because that came when it was old texting. When Twitter was not web based, it was text. It was text, phone text based initially, and you only had a certain amount of characters in old text formations. That's right, and that's where the 140 came from, right? So, but that's changed. But you have these video files, and obviously we can upload way more because there's YouTube. But people have gotten used to just seeing a, you know. 30 seconds of something into a minute or something. And now then there was IGTV, they made it bigger and TikTok, TikTok can go however long it goes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you even had things like Vine, which was like, let's give you six seconds. Yes. To tell your story. <laughs> and, 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 and I get that there's a cool challenge to, to doing that. And, and it makes things concise. And it, maybe it makes you a better communicator in ways, but maybe it makes you a worse communicator because you can be misunderstood because people don't have all the information and people today don't understand punctuation and basic grammar rules. So people misunderstand and get upset with each other because of that. And you have text wars with people and someone's like trying to just say, Hey, you look great today. And in the end, it turns out to be this fight where people stop talking. And it was like, what? I was trying to say you look great today. And it turned out, or, or good job on your, on your meeting to your presentation at the meeting today. And then it turns into people saying, how dare you steal my, like, you know, who knows? But the but um, 
but but entertainment's become like fast food and it's it's cheap and it's fast and it's in and out yeah and most of it causes diarrhea anyway but <laughs> but um but uh and you need to, you need to get some hot blood medicine for it uh-huh. but uh but uh, and, and that's unfortunate and the quality has gone down because we're able to produce these high quality both with movies and with audio we're, we're able to sh- we're able to use a little thing right here like this little phone i have right here we're able to right here we're, we're able to shoot a movie on something like that that smokes the quality of what was even out in theaters a few years ago and um and with crazy audio quality and you can edit the whole thing on your phone and uh, yet Oh, and you can do all the recordings at home, and 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 uh, there's so much amazing lo-fi. I shouldn't even say lo-fi. There's a lot of hi-fi kinds of recording tech uh, instrumentation in, out there now. The instruments have gotten really affordable. You have companies like Behringer who've either bought up the patents or figured out ways to get product uh, a three thousand uh, dollar instrument down to a hundred dollars. Yeah. And there's software that lets you do everything. And we have all this stuff that gives you an output of, of a product that's extremely high quality, yet we're digesting or observing all this entertainment at such a low quality. Many people are listening to music on a streaming platform, which is streaming the music to you at a very low quality rate. They're watching the movies streamed on a low quality setting um i i a friend of mine has a, a movie theater and uh, we did some events with him for the uh my live tube stuff and um he was telling me that the the quality that you get it's pretty alarming what what companies like netflix and amazon output to it is so lo-fi i was surprised but because it still looks good on tv good enough anyway but um, but most people aren't even doing that. They're looking at it on their phones or whatnot. And when people download music, they're downloading, if they're even going to buy it, they're going to download download it as an MP3. You're generally not going to buy a wave. Some people do buy the waves, but you're you're getting a compressed version of something that's that has also been um, dynamically compressed and made louder so that it will sound better on a phone, just for the phone. So we're we're, we're we're in a weird time of processed art and entertainment. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. But well, it's true. Yeah. I, you know, and, and I guess the one, the, you know, you're right. There's a, there is a certain challenge to trying to produce things in that way. And I wonder if there will be a point at which there's a backlash you know, because everything cycles. There's always the the ebb and the flow. You have a point when short pop songs are really popular, and then somebody puts out a uh, you know a Hey Jude or a Stairway to Heaven, and then all of a sudden everybody wants a longer song, and then it shifts back to you know punk, and everything's short and fast, and in you know and and lo-fi, and then it goes you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. You know? And the hope, I guess, is that it doesn't stay here very long. Will 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 this be the new normal, or is it just a phase? Well, uh, everything's been getting 
at least online, entertainment that people want to watch is shorter. And the amount of people that tell me nowadays that they don't watch movies anymore, they just watch YouTube videos, mm. is getting greater. Yeah. And the amount of people that watch just stuff on, you know, their phone, you know, like the social media stuff, it's pretty, pretty surprising. It's a lot. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know about the shift. If that'll if that'll go in a cycle, I'm not really sure at this moment. If people want yeah. the long form like they did, the amount of people that even prior to the pandemic happening that would go to theaters, it was getting very small because people can't even sit still because they got to check their phones. And it's a it's amazing to me to find out the people that I know that can't even put their phone away. Yeah. I, I, I'm invited to a lot of um, screenings for movies. And when you go to a lot of these press and preview screenings, they, they don't want you to bring your phones in generally. And they'll, they'll, they'll check them for you and, and you know, they'll, 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 they'll put them away for you. You don't have to like keep it in your car or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But there's multiple people that are like, well, I can't be without my phone. I'm like, well, you can't be without your phone. Leave it at home. Oh no, I can't do that. I need to be. I need to be able to check it. Whoa, what is there an emergency? What's going? And and it's amazing. We have people that have to have their phone because they just got to be able to check it. They're like, I can't even go ten minutes without looking at my phone. What? But that's what's going going on with with the world right now. And I don't know that we're going to see that change because it's part. It's become part of what people do. More people probably check their phones than they do brush their teeth. At this point, I would I would actually put money on that at this point. I think you're probably right, and I think yeah. and and the thing that but people who are watching right now are probably like, uh, there's probably people watching right now that'll that'll be like, I'm not sure when I did brush my teeth last, but I know I just checked my phone. I'm checking right now, check my phone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe yeah, your phone will tell you. I, and I, you know, it gets me because there are enough people who are like that who are old enough to have grown up without a phone, and yet. The, you have a phone now, you know, everything I do is pretty much on my, you know, phone. I'm taking notes, I'm writing lyrics, I'm doing audio, I'm, you know, scheduling things or whatever it is. But I had enough years of knowing how to put the phone down and just, you know, live life and exist in a space without feeling that kind of addiction. As if you're 20 years old and you never lived in a world like that, Okay, maybe I kind of get it. It's a sad, but I get it. But if you're 40 or, or older, there should still be some muscle memory of not having a phone in front of your face all of the time. One would think. And I don't know if there is. So but a lot of it, a lot of it is there's a lot of late comers to the technology. And the people who are late comers actually seem to be more addicted because it's still really new to them. Where to me, I've always been someone who's gravitated towards technology early on. I mean, look, I, I mess with my phone a lot. There's no doubt about it. But, but I can, I, I, I sometimes will be like, oh, oh shit, I left my phone. <laughs> um, yeah. um, I mean, I didn't have, you know, I mean, I didn't have Instagram for several months because they, they thought I was a bot. Um, and it just came back, and I got a nice apology from Instagram, which I was surprised oh. about. Or actually, Facebook apologized. Yep. Um, but also, I, I was without some social media. Like when they kicked everybody off because of their names. A couple of years back, they didn't believe you if your name wasn't, you know, Sarah, Michael, or John, or 
or Rachel, you know, if you had a name that was anything different than that, you were picked off of Facebook unless you could show your ID. Oh, great. Yeah. That was like 2014. Well, I refused to show them my ID. There's not getting my ID. But, but um, when I, I finally got a piece of mail from SAG, SAG after the union, yeah. which I, I'm not a part of it, but I'm SAG eligible. Mm-hmm. So um, I got a letter and it's, it's, there's my name there. And I'll show you a piece of mail that comes in. And it's a, it's a business, it's a business sent me mail. They're going to know who SAG is. And I, and I sent them a picture of that. And I sent a picture of myself and it was like, and, um, and then my, you know, my account came back on eventually, wow. but anyway, crazy. Um, but yeah, people, people have gotten, but that anyway, yeah. So entertainment's gotten short because I don't know if it's going to return. I, 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 I'm dubious to feeling that entertainment will be ingested the same way. Although you have these superhero films, which are like 19 hours long. So who knows? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a mini series, but in one sitting, you know, you got this they called it the Snyder cut of the Justice League. I mean, what are they cutting? There's nothing being cut. No, no. Like, I felt like I was sitting for eight years. I'm like, ah, I, and I still don't even know what's going on. I'm like, I don't know. There's a bunch of computer bull jive going down. And I think there's a story somewhere in there. There's some interesting outfits. People yeah. did some good artwork, I think. Sure. Yeah. Good sound effects. Good sound. Good sound. Do you feel like you're like you kind of alluded to this, your history with technology made you a little less prone to being wild by it? Controlled so, by it? Yeah. 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 Because I know the inner I know the inner workings. I know what goes on. I know how things work. I mean, there's actually some really good documentaries about it. There's um uh I saw a good one. It's on the tip of my tongue what it's called, but it's about the the algorithms. This about the social, the social. Uh, oh shoot! I know what you're talking about. Yeah, social dilemma or something like that. <clears throat> that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, but that that's not news to me. I mean, I, I worked as we talked about Newgrounds. We were we were the first big entertainment portal on the internet, and we were in the top 100 of all websites. And when did that start? 1998. Hmm. Um, I joined the end of '98. 99 and it was two of us and it was an automated portal where you could upload upload your flash game or flash cartoon um and a community was built and then i spawned from that on to doing something for a cartoon series that i was working on and um built another community so these were social networks prior to things like friendster and all that i mean it was you had you had the AOL and the GeoCities, and you had obviously the old BBS systems, and then you. But there weren't really any <clears throat> websites that were massive like ours. We had like millions of people on our thing. No one had anything like that. And uh, and then you know eventually Friendster came around, which was really like the big, the first big one. There was Makeout Club was another one, which um, which became Deus Rec- the guys from Deus Records. Um, um, but eventually there was there was tribe and you know, then eventually MySpace is right. what came about. Right. Um, so I mean I I wasn't technology's always been a thing for me. I think because I've also done music with technology and I've been into film and and video and computers. I was always into computers since I was a little kid, learning how to try to program something on computers. And I 
So that, that's always fascinated me, how things work. I, I, I would love to figure out how, how, how things work. I still do. I'm always researching. I, I'm constantly researching. I spend, I, I'd say in a week, I spend hours finding out about new technologies and, and how things work. I mean, that's just, and where things will go. I've, I've always been interested in the future since I was a little kid. <clears throat> and I've been fortunate in my, at least for me, to, to uh, or maybe mis, misfortunate, uh, uh, um, or to this unfortunate situation we're in, in the world today, where I remember listening to people like Frank Zappa in the early 80s about what they thought the future would be like, or, or going to like Epcot or reading things about what the future would hold and then doing other research about it and saying, okay, we're going to have something called a pocket computer that we're going to have in our pockets. It's going to be smarter than any supercomputer is now. Like there was the Cray computer system. And I was like, we're going to have something that's smarter than that thing. It takes up floors in a building. It's going to be in a pocket. Now, I didn't know it was going to look like a phone. I wouldn't even know it would be called a phone because basically it's a computer. It's not even a phone. It's a computer that has a, has a phone on it. But I mean, the phones are awful on, on, these, on these phones. They're the worst. They're slow starting. They don't always work right. But anyway, they're pocket computers. And, and I remember thinking about that and also about transportation, which the transportation thing never really took off. But there's a lot of reasons why transportation has been held back. And that's because of people making too much money on things like gasoline and all that. But now that's starting to go away, which is nice. You're seeing in different parts of the world where they've banned fossil fuels and all that, which is pretty amazing. That's great. And, and, and other countries have fallen suit to saying by 2025 or 2026, it'll all be electric or whatever. And, you know, there's other issues that come along with electric operations for these vehicles too, but I do feel like it's a it's step in the right direction. There, there's a lot of, I'm not a, uh, I'm not someone who's like, you know, uh, I would go to a different, take us to a different world. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah, tech, I'm not, I'm not afraid of technology and, and, um, and I'm, and I'm not wowed by it and, and uh, controlled as easily by it. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Shock. It was such an incredible talk, and it went so long that I've decided to split it into two parts. So I'm leaving you in a little bit of suspense here, and you'll have to wait until next week to hear the stunning conclusion of my two-hour interview with Shock. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.